Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey everyone, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. If you're new to the podcast and it's your first episode, you're in for a wild ride. I'm catching up with Vince Scully today from Life Sherpa. He's a friend of the podcast. He has a wealth of knowledge. He's in the Facebook group uh, and we have a lot of fun with Vince. Vince, are you ready to have a chat about this GameStop frenzy thing that's happened over the last week? Game stonks? Yeah, yeah. I can talk about that all day. Totally. Now, I guess the way I want to do this, people, is... I want to, number one, just detail in a simple to understand way what short selling is because if we can understand the basic concepts and I'll like try and mansplain it to myself so you can really understand it. Once we understand the basic concepts, then this will all make sense. So Vince, are you ready to have a listen to me explaining what short selling is? Are you going to mansplain to me? I am. Glensplain. Glensplain. And then once we do that, we're going to chat about uh, this whole Robin Hood debacle in America. We're going to have a chat and we've looked at all your questions and comments on the Facebook group just to frame our conversation and just to keep it really brief. I'm just going to make sure I cover a lot of the things that, um, that we talk about. We're going to talk about obviously these hedge funds. We're going to talk about what it means for the Australian market, what it might mean for the US market and what it means for us. So, Vince, if I was to explain to you what short selling is in a simple way, this is what I would do. Let's pretend that there is a shop down the road and they've got 100 chairs for sale that are identical, okay? Identical chairs. I go to this shop and we might call the shop a broker later on Mm -hmm. and say, hi, can I borrow that chair there? And they say, Sure, Glenn. And in the background, we would arrange that, you know, within 30 days or 90 days, I would return an identical chair back to them. So, there's a limited amount of chairs for sale in the market. I would return that chair to them. Now, the concept of this, Vince, it doesn't really matter at the moment uh, what the price of the chair is, but we'll get to that. So, I go to this shop and there are a couple of other chairs already in the market. And I say, I'd like to borrow that chair. And they say, yes, Glenn, uh, bring it back in a month. And we'll also charge you a little bit of a premium for letting you borrow it. And that chair, the, the moment I borrow it from you, Vince, is worth $20. The moment I borrow it, I sell it for $20 and get $20 in my bank account. Now, I know that there's better chairs available. And over the next month, all the chairs are going to be worth $10. So, at the end of the month, I go and buy another chair from you from a different cash register so you don't know it. (laughs) Or you might even know that, you know, I just want another chair and I buy that chair for $10 at the end of the month because I know that it was going to go down in value. 
and then I give that chair back to you, which means I've made $10. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair analogy of what short selling is? If we were yeah, to insert in, in, in a in, nutshell, yeah. Yeah, if we were to change that to shares, uh, the same thing would happen. Now, I only make my $10 because when I borrowed the chair and sold it for $20, I knew that the price was going to go down. The problem these hedge funds have got is if that chair went to $40 at the end of the 30 days, and then I had to buy a chair to give back to you, I've actually had to pay double what I originally paid. That's right. So, you don't actually buy the share. So, you borrow a share with an obligation to hand back a share and you don't know what that's going to cost you at the time. So, if you've got a view that it's going to go down in price, then borrowing something today and selling it for $20 and if you think you can buy it back for $10 to repay your loan, all sweet in the world. And this is where we get to the fact that these hedge funds did this on a huge scale with the problem they've got to give back a share or a chair. It's funny they kind of rhyme. They but do. there can be an infinite loss because some buggers down the road have said, I want to dick around with Glenn. So mm-hmm. everyone go and buy a chair from that shop. And because if there's more people wanting those chairs the prices will naturally increase because it's a supply and demand thing. That's right. So, this has got nothing to do with the intrinsic value of the underlying share. This is about more people want to buy it than want to sell it. Mm. Therefore, the price goes up. So, rather than it being a sign of an inefficient market, it's a sign of a perfectly efficient market at work. So, this whole short selling thing, it's actually, it's not really a scandal, is it? That there's been a short squeeze. This is a perfectly normal part of price discovery. The whole point of having a market is that we want to identify the true value of all these things called shares at any one time. And it will take into account all of the available information. So there's millions of people around the world buying and selling these shares. And that collective wisdom is what leads us to a price which is the price at which the number of buyers equals the number of sellers. Mm. And short selling is a way of getting that information to the market that someone has the view that they think it's worth less than the market saying it is. And that should have the effect of pushing the price down in the ordinary course of events. Yeah. So if we now move and talk about game stock specifically, mm-hmm. there was a view out there that you know, you don't go into the store and buy Call of Duty anymore. You might download mm-hmm. it online. So, there's a general view out there that uh, GameStop- Even us baby boomers get that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, there's a general view out there that over the long term, this company is probably not going to be worth that much. Yeah. So, is this the next Blockbuster or the next Kodak? Yeah. Or is it? Is there some intrinsic value there? And there's and there's been a yeah, and there's sort of been a battle between two schools of thought. There's the GameStop bulls led by Michael Berry, who you'll know from the the Great Short, and um, a whole on the so he's been a buyer. He's been buying for eighteen months, and you've got the bears going. Well, actually, this really is blockbuster, and they've been selling short for a long time, and it's been bubbling along for a very long time. 
and um, it's sort of come to a head, as it always does. Yes. So, enter Reddit. Reddit, it's a huge online forum. I've got the Reddit app. I'm in different channels and I love getting to that cesspool and just seeing all the information. And there's a lot of Reddit users that are actually gamers. And mm. uh, in the Wall Street Bets uh, subreddit, it got out. Someone had done some research that these big hedge funds uh, were basically shorting GameStop. Now, I, I believe- It's all public information. There's yeah. nothing nefarious about that. Yeah, which is totally fine. So- Somebody has gone, hey, everyone, let's put some big demand on the share price of GameStop and try and screw these hedge funds as a bit of an FU to the, to the Wall Street dogs. So, it just got momentum that a whole heap of people went in, mostly through the Robinhood app, uh, because that was kind of the first big app in the States that it would be... Um, you know, free trading and brokerage free trading. And we'll discuss soon while why everything's not necessarily free and there's consequences for that. And there was this groundswell of people that um, were buying GameStop. And it was because the increase in demand was there, it moved the price up. Now, if we go back to our analogy and, you know, we had to buy that chair I, don't, I shouldn't have used the word chair and chair. <laughs> Ugh, idiot. We had to buy that chair. I'm not to, sharing a chair. Yeah, that's right. I had to buy the chair to give back to the shop. Well, these hedge funds had to get sucked up in and buy the shares while they were increasing in price to try and close out their liability. So, it was this kind of negative feedback loop for the hedge funds. Yeah. Uh, but it was just a really good example of the people power and doing things as a big group mm. that actually move the needle of the markets. That's right. But it doesn't take tens of thousands of people on Reddit to do that. I mean, if you go back to 2008 with Volkswagen, there's one guy did this. One of the Porsche family managed to foil the short sellers and ended up with Volkswagen being the biggest company in the world for a day. And um, having taught them a lesson, he sold them his shares to make it all go away. So it doesn't take hundreds of thousands of people to do it. And in fact, there was a whole bunch of things coming together to cause this to happen. You know, if you go back to October, so you had some good news coming through. So the guy from Chewy, whose name escapes me for the moment, was appointed to the board. They did a deal with Microsoft. Um, their online sales were up. So some good news was starting to filter through. And that start, so you started to see the price kick up a little bit. And then you've got the effects of the short squeeze, and which is where there's not enough shares to close out your position. And many of them also had bought call options to cut short your, cut your as you said earlier, you've got an infinite loss. If you buy... If you sell something for $20 and you've got to buy it back, well, you could have to buy it back at a million dollars. <laughs> a million dollars. So your loss, potential loss is infinite. So often they'll buy call options, which allows them to buy it at $100 just to manage that downside. Mm. And so now all the market makers in the call options had to go and buy more shares to hedge their positions, which triggered a lot of these um, high-frequency trading algorithms to start buying because now you had price rising on growing volume. And then you had you know, tens of thousands of 
millennials with $600 stimulus checks thinking they're playing World of Warcraft and having a coordinated raid and the thing just takes off. And as you say, it's just you've got all these infinite loops, feedback loops, Mm. just feeding on each other and something has to give. It's interesting, this whole short selling thing and, you know, to us that are, you know, that have followed share markets for some time, it's actually not a, a big scandal. And just this year, I'm just looking at this tweet, even the last 12 months, short sellers have lost $7 billion this year, like the last 12 months alone on Tesla. So, these short sellers and hedge funds, when they get it right, they get it right and they make a huge spread. But they're, yeah. along the way, they're a losers. Yeah, for every every winning streak, there'll be losing streaks. And short selling a company with a rabid following is always a dangerous place to be. So brands that people love, especially people who are on the internet a lot, um, like Tesla, GameStop, Apple, they're not companies you really want to be playing this game with. Mm, Excuse the pun. I (laughs) want to now, Vince, just talk about a couple of things uh, because for me, I think we've kind of talked enough about, you know, this whole short selling and we we borrow a share if we think the price is going down. When the price goes down at the end of the agreed time, we rebuy the share and then give that back to the person that we lent it from with probably a little bit of uh, premium for them. So, yep. we make a, a margin. But I want to maybe chat about a couple of things. Uh, along the way in the hype, GME Resources in Australia, so the, the code in America on the New York Stock Exchange is GME. Uh, there's a, an Australian company called GME Resources Australia and their code on the ASX uh, is GME. Now, GME started to have a bit of a run in Australia because people didn't know what they were doing in buying Australian GME. I found it interesting, Vince, that what we saw in America probably wouldn't happen here in Australia to an extent because the ASX saw some significant activity on this stock and basically put a trading halt in and said, we need to please explain. So, can you explain in Australia what happens if a share takes off and there's been no real announcement and what the ASX kind of do? Yeah. So, since the advent of automated trading, most exchanges around the world have implemented procedures when they see unusual volumes or unusual price movements. Um, they're called circuit breakers. And in the ASX, in the case of the ASX, they the stock the ASX can call a listed company. It's called a often called a speeding ticket, where volume moves up or price moves up or down materially and there hasn't been an announcement, they'll send a please explain. And if that please explain isn't satisfactory, that will often result in a, a trading halt, mm. which obviously means it can be difficult to get in or out of a position. And in those cases, your stop loss isn't going to save you because when it reopens, it could be at a much lower price. And when Vince talks about in and out of a position, if I go into a position, I'm buying a share. If I go out of yep. a position, I'm selling a share. Or selling short. Yeah, yep. or selling short. So, it, it's unlikely that it would happen in Australia to the extent it did on the New York Stock Exchange. So, Vince, let's move on now to this Robin Hood thing that's also kind of exacerbated this and really made 
a little bit complex. And the funny thing about optics, Vince, is optics aren't a problem while the goings are good. When the goings are bad, That's right. optics can be a problem. And there's a bit of a conspiracy going on. And I've actually drawn the conspiracy, see my chart, Vince? It's a big chart. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. uh, Of (laughs) the actual conspiracy, which I think this leads us to the most important lesson that we can learn from what happened with Robinhood, GameStop, and our own investing. So, the crazy thing is, when all this was happening last week, Robinhood said to everybody on their platform, you can no longer... Buy Robinhood stocks and a few others. There was like uh, AMC, I think BlackBerry and some other stocks that were getting shorted. Nokia. Nokia. So, they've stopped a whole heap of people from buying this stock, which effectively means the buyers are taken out of the market, which flows on to mean not as much demand, which means the prices can come off, which means if the stock goes cheaper, the hedge funds make more money. Fair statement? Yes. So, the crazy thing is, and we'll talk about Robin Hood itself, but the conspiracy is all behind this billionaire called Ken Griffin. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the two articles that I've read. One is from the Wall Street Journal and the other one is from the Washington Post. Robin Hood don't go to the market directly, Vince, to place the trades. They use a third party. That third party is- Which common. is more common in the US than yes. it is here. So, so, in the US, there are market makers in each share and they specialize in particular sectors or particular shares. Mm. Whereas here, we have electronic clearance. Yeah. So, you put your you put your buy or sell order into the ASX and the clearing system works out what the price is that will make the number of buyers equal sellers. In the US, you've actually got people who make markets and they therefore take risk on that price. And so they are obviously very interested in getting flow. Mm. And in this case, they're paying a premium or a rebate as it's called for Robinhood's flow. And this particular market maker, Citadel, accounts for, I don't know, 70% of Robinhood's revenue. Like it's massive. Yeah. So Citadel Securities, um, the market maker slash broker or whatever, pay Robinhood for data, for, I think, and they, so if Robin Hood, I'm just having a look here, Vince, I think I highlighted it. Um, yeah, Robin Hood routes more than half of its customers to Citadel. So Citadel, I think, pay, from what I can read, um, Robin Hood for all their data. So at least they know yep. what's happening for the buyers buying and selling. So Citadel Securities is owned by a hedge fund. It's a subsidiary of a hedge fund called Citadel LLC. The guy who owns Citadel LLC, uh, Ken Griffin, well, a majority shareholder. And this is where the conspiracy is wild, Vince. Melvin Capital, who basically were about to go under or with a big hedge fund that got screwed by GME, Ken Griffin, and I don't know what entity he put it through, gave Melvin Capital about a $2 billion injection at the same time that Robin Hood basically stopped people from buying shares in GME. Mm-hmm. So, optics aren't great. Um, yep. You know, Ken Griffin's well and truly, he's got a huge vested interest in Robin Hood. Obviously, for whatever reason, he's given a big cash injection into Melvin Capital. 
and Robinhood have stopped people buying GME, which in turn, in theory, you would hope would push the price down. There's two sides of this coin, Vince. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy the conspiracy theory. Um, It sounds great. And that's the really interesting thing about this whole episode, that it's not the, the maths or the finance that's interesting. It's the human elements around it and what that makes people do. And, uh, you know, so on one hand, you've got the the battle of the hedge funds, the bulls and the bears, and on the other side, you've got, you know, an army of youngish people on the internet and a whole bunch of regulators and politicians sticking their oar in. So the truth is probably far more prosaic than that, and it probably, and this is a general issue with startups, that in order to participate in the markets, you have to lodge capital. So if I say to Robin Hood, I want you to buy or sell some GME for me, there is a risk that that trade might fall over somewhere in that place. So if I don't deliver with, I don't deliver the stock or the guy buying it files for bankruptcy or doesn't turn up with the cash, these trades fail. So the broker is often left compensating one side or the other. And that's fixed by putting collateral with the market or with the market makers or with the regulators. And I suspect that Robinhood just ran out of money to place its collateral. Due to the rush. Yeah, because this was these were massive movements with customers who weren't necessarily well-known, wouldn't necessarily have had capital behind them, and many were operating on margin. So... I suspect that Robinhood just ran out of cash and a conspiracy theory sounds a lot more pleasant to their customers than, actually, we've run out of cash, guys. We have to stop trading. Mm. Move away. And I think the founder on US TV this morning did a particularly poor job of putting the Robinhood case. So these rumors will run and run. Yes. But I'm not sure I really buy them. Yeah. I, I- I, it's, story, it's great, and I love a conspiracy. How this billionaire is, you know, wanting to screw everyone. But yeah, I, I instantly thought there's there's got to be an issue with um, the collateral side of the the broker, Robin Hood. That would be my my take on this. And this is why it just speaks to me, like with my own investing vents. I don't dick around with these startup free trade things and all that. I use a full service broker, I pay for my trades, I invest for the long term uh, because everything works on paper until it freaking gets a run and it doesn't work. That's right. So you'll suddenly find that that $5 a trade you're saving turns out to be a very expensive fail at when it when it does go because wrong. And you- it'll go right for a very long time. Nobody complains when they're making money. Mm. When liquidity dries up or, um, yeah. Big counterparty in the market falls over. Um, yeah, we saw this in when BT collapsed in 1998. I was um, barely a child in 98, Vince. Yeah. But you had all of these Australian miners who were you know, manufacturing gold. Yeah, so they were all forward selling their production. And so they appeared to the market like this is a fully hedged gold investments. I don't really care what happens to the price of gold. All I've really got to care about is how fast these guys can get it out of the ground. When BT had problems, 
and they were the counterparty for a lot of these transactions, suddenly all these miners were actually unhedged and now the price of gold did matter. Mm. So all these perfectly balanced trades look perfectly fine on paper until something gets disrupted, whether that's liquidity like in 2008 or it's interest rates or it's um, what the Fed does to the money supply. All of these things can disrupt business as usual and that's when you want to be sure that you know what and, risks you're taking. And this is this whole thing is like I'm I'm just not like don't try and lure me over to your business with a free trade because mm. when you look at it as a percentage term, if you're buying a decent growth stock, a small bit of brokerage for point dickety two percent of a trade to get the certainty that when the going gets tough that the little startup's not gonna freaking fall over and cost you money. Oh. Because that's basically what happened. If people wanted to buy more shares or sell shares or whatever, and they couldn't actually use the platform, I mean, who cares about the $5 waived fee or whatever? Yeah. So, Schwab kept trading. TD Ameritrade kept trading. Yeah. um, Because these guys are beasts with collateral to burn. Mm -hmm. And so, what's, you know, how much is a $5 saving on your trade? Mm worth when things go bad. It's, it's not a trade-off I'm prepared to make. And most people don't actually, especially if you haven't been around for, yeah, if you don't if you don't remember what happened in 1987 or 91 or 99, um, or, or even 2008, yeah. um, or 74, um, <laughs> things, start, <laughs> things start getting, they're the times when you value a full, a full service operator. Yeah. And for me, the difference between paying $95 or $19.95 and $5 is not something that's going to make me move to a... Because there was, an, uh, there was an Australian broker who were new to the scene who have been promoting this um, free trade in the US uh, and they suspended their service at the end of the last week as well. Okay. And I think they, I think their tech just couldn't handle the inflow. So it's uh, it, the going's good while the going's good. That's not when you want your platform to fall over or to be told you can't trade. That liquidity, liquidity and transparency are the two things you should be paying money for. Mm. And a five dollar discount on my trade is not enough to make me want to do that. So there was a comment in the group, I think from Laura. I think it was Laura. Hello, Laura, if you're the optometrist in Melbourne that I'm thinking. She says, well, what does it mean for the American markets? Well, my view, Vince, and I'll appreciate yours, while this is all going on, I think a lot of the hedge funds probably closed out positions and just thought, look, we might take a a hot 10 minutes and just move away and move some money off the table for the waters to calm down, which Mm -hmm. can actually impact the um, well, the volatility of the US stock market. What's your general consensus of the uh, lay of the land? Yeah, I mean, most. Yeah, I mean, most of these hedge funds, for want of a bit of word, um, I'm not sure I really like the term anymore. It mm. used to mean something um, because they were actually a, a hedge. The whole point of a hedge fund was to hedge is, against downside. Was to give you a different result, mm. and so that you would pay up to get a result that's not correlated to your investment in the stock market or the bond market, whatever you're investing in. And it's sort of become a bit of a catch-all term for anyone who's not a long-only bond or equity fund. Mm. And 
their reputation, particularly among people who learned about hedge funds from watching billions. It's just they've got a an odd public impression. Um, but the point I was about to make on that was that they are all working to risk budgets. So when the price of GME would have risen, they would have gone, we have enough capital allocated here where we've got to get out. Mm. So they would get out at any price. Mm. And that's not someone you want to be on the other side of a trade from. They also would be sensitive to volatility. So some people trade volatility, mm. other people would want to avoid it. So this is now a risk-off moment where people will go, oh, actually, maybe I should be sitting on the sideline for a little bit. So this will calm down. This is not anything new or particularly novel. Short squeezes happen all of the time. And um, it's really the human interest in this one that yeah. makes it compelling TV. We'll have a quick break and we'll come back with some final thoughts and I'll come back with my final uh, conspiracy. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, Vince, any final thoughts about this whole debacle? Uh, is it over, do you think? Uh, is it a good time now to short GME, <laughs> given that the price is so bloody high? I, 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 don't, I don't think that retail investors should be shorting anything. And well, I, I don't know how, Vince, like where do I go to borrow a stock and do it? Like I don't think well, it's- Well, it's not, it's not easy, but you could just go and buy a a put option or a call option, exactly. or sell a put option. Yeah, um, There are plenty of options trades that will allow you to do exactly the same thing. And that's really, you know, do I have a view the share is going to go up or down? If I think it's going to go up, I either buy the share or buy a call option. If I think it's going to go down, I either short sell or I buy a put option. option. And just and quickly, if I own a put option, it gives me to uh, buy the share uh, sorry, yeah. You get, I, I get to force you to buy my share at a fixed price. Yes, thank you. We actually let's do an episode uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks about options, put and calls, because mm. uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I don't think this is groundbreaking stuff that will reverberate forever. There were just so many things that came together here to create this fuel, but in dollar terms, this is an order of magnitude less than the Volkswagen deal. Mm. This is an order of magnitude less than Tesla. But what's really interesting about it is the the human dynamics behind, you know, an army of young people with $600 checks from the federal government plowing down to do free trades in Robin Hood and treating it like a World of Warcraft raid. That's exciting. Oh, it's freaking awesome. Actually, I was, I was looking on Reddit last night, Vince, and all these guys that have made so much money from the GME uh, squeeze um, are paying for billboards all over American highways because they want people to hold and not sell and hold the line. Winston, yeah. when you call me on, on Saturday to, to talk about doing this episode, I actually 
being the money nerd I am, sat down and did a valuation of GME. And um, I really struggled to get a number above 30 bucks. Per share? Per share. And yeah. that's really taking some fairly ballsy assumptions about going, well, actually, maybe revenue will return to 2019 levels. The Microsoft deal turns into a mozza. They get on top of this online retailing stuff. Margins yeah. go up. It ain't a $300 share. <laughs> and you go, I can, I can get to 30 maybe 40 if I'm really bullish. But so if you bought in at less than 30 bucks, well, maybe it's a hold. Mm. Um, and it's a different beast than it was in October. So back in October, I would have said, this is the next blockbuster. This is the next Kodak. Yeah. Um, because yeah, when was the last time you went into a, a shop and bought a game? Yeah, EB Games. Because they own EB Games, I'm pretty sure. They do own EB Games. Whereas, you know, everyone's downloading them on PlayStation Network or mm. Xbox, whatever it is. So I think the moral of this story, though, really is not everyone in the market is playing the same game. And if your game is about long-term growth and wealth accumulation, playing with specy stocks and listening to tips on Reddit is not the way to do that. Yeah, but that's freaking it's it's boring to do that, Vince. Yeah, but <laughs> investing should be boring. If, yeah, if it's exciting, you're doing it wrong. If you want excitement, go to the racetrack. I know. Oh, I I just love the idea of like these kids throwing in like 600 bucks and turning it into like five grand overnight. <laughs> oh. And turning it into zero the next day. Totally. Who knows? And, it, you know, uh, the Lordeth giveth and the Lordeth taketh when it comes to uh, to these little stocks and trading. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's not a little stock. It's an no. it's a S and P S and P five hundred stock. Yeah, I yeah. Think. no, it's um, a, it's a big size. It's, it's a substantial company. You're possibly one of the worst lessons people could take from this. Are you those who turn their six hundred bucks into five thousand? Is that they're now investment legends, mm. and they'll start doing even dumber things, which is why ninety percent of traders lose ninety percent of their money in ninety days, and that's been true for generations. So, what what do you reckon, Glenn? Well, yeah, my closing thoughts are it's an example why you don't really dick around with single stocks uh, with more than 10% of your equity allocation across super and your own investing, uh, own ordinary money. My second thoughts are it's just a case in point why I don't dick around with all these investment apps. And I know the, the little investment apps of the world, they're a good entry into understanding how risk works, understanding how investment works. Uh, but for many years, you know, you and I on this podcast and I've been saying, you know, once you really want to step up and play the the adult type of uh, wholesale <laughs> and we were not wholesale in the word over 500,000, but I mean- Are you, you an adult? Yeah, I don't know. But you seriously putting money into the market, I think it does need to be through a, a full service broker and not through these apps because as we see, and it's another thing like this 86400 that uh, Neobank that- NAB just purchased for 200 million. Most of these startup little apps, the long game is to build it up, get a database and sell it. So <laughs> you'll end up in a legacy product a lot of the time uh, in the investment space. I'm not speaking about banking stuff because what happens is these investment banks, they'll come in and they'll buy these little investment accounts and we've seen it for years and they say, yeah, we're now closing uh, this investment to new money and if you're in there, well, you can just fizzle out or whatever. Uh, but they become legacy products pretty fast. Uh, so all that to say, 
I don't dick around and I'm not enticed by a free trade. If I've got a thousand dollars to invest, if I've got two grand to invest, I'll freaking pay ten dollars, twenty dollars and be quite happy with a full service broker. But but in the Facebook group there's an awful lot of free trade use my use my sign up mm. coupon to get five free trades. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every day. Totally. totally. So it works. It works if you're trying to build a business. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's good for the consumer. Yeah. And then can I leave on a uh, a funny little story from the uh, the Washington Post? I'll uh-huh. I'll leave you, Vince. You'll like this one. You won't be surprised, but I think it's fascinating for all the politicos out there. Citadel spent five hundred and twenty thousand dollars on lobbying in twenty twenty, encountered a former Treasury Department employee, and a former tax aide on Capitol Hill among its lobbyists. So. We know Citadel, who was, you know, a big hedge fund that owns the uh, clearinghouse for uh, mm-hmm. Robin Hood. You know, they've spent a lot of money on lobbying. And for those who think uh, the government's better now because Biden's in and the Democrat, you know, they're above reproach and all this stuff. And, and I'm not making any accusations, I'm just reading this. Citadel also paid Janet Yellen, President Biden's newly installed Treasury Secretary, between 710000 and 760000 in speaking fees in 2019 and 2020, according to her financial disclosure forms. So Isn't transparency a wonderful thing? Oh, I love it. So if you think Biden's now going to drain the swamp and you know the new administration's above reproach, well, we know, and I'm not saying that Janet's dodgy or anything, but in the past, she's received almost a million dollars from the hedge fund uh, for corporate gigs. <laughs> but I don't think anyone's suggesting that there's anything untoward happening here. No, I just think it's a small world yeah, in this short, short selling is perfectly legal. Yeah. It's a important part of price discovery. Um, I mean, if anybody's potentially done anything illegal, it's our friends on Reddit because that's arguably collusion to manipulate a market. I suspect enforcing that's probably really hard, but I just don't, I don't buy the conspiracy. Yeah, how do you track down, uh, how do you track down the user butt plug potato? <laughs> well, that one might be obvious, but yeah. most of them will be pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Yes. Anyway, I so, so Glenn, Glenn Central Coast sixty five. Yeah, something is, like that. Um, yeah, is probably easier to track down. But mm. you know, it's it's great theatre. These are the things that make for great. It's funny theater. the hedge funds. Like, I reckon just for fun, they'll probably go after Reddit for um, allowing the platform to be used in a collusionary fashion. Mm. If that's even a word. But anyway, we're talking crap. We've uh, had a big chat. It's probably as helpful as the money that you paid for this episode. Vince, we'll come back. We'll do an episode uh, on put options and call options uh, just for fun. Uh, thank you, Vince Scully from Life Sherpa. It's been a blast. Thanks, Vince. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.